Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people in Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another, by another road. Bless his words. So this morning, uh, as I pointed out to the children, it's Epiphany, or it's the Sunday we celebrate Epiphany. I think Epiphany was actually a few days ago. Uh, but it is, it's really when we uh, dig, dig into the second birth narrative of Jesus. The first birth narrative, we heard most of the first birth narrative on Christmas, and that's told to us in the second chapter of Luke. Uh, and in Luke... That's where all the, you know, the angels appear to the shepherd. Well, the angel appears to Mary and tells Mary the good news. And then Mary uh, re- gives us this, her beautiful song about the poor being fed and about the, the rich going away wanting and, and uh, that God's justice will prevail through this child. And she sings her, her beautiful song and she goes to Elizabeth and, uh, and uh, we hear about all of that story and then the you know the no room at the inn story that's all in luke and they go to bethlehem because of a census that was called we're told in luke uh and in uh and then that's where the shepherds come into it and the shepherds come and are uh, greet the baby uh and 
uh, probably get in the way and bring a lot of dirt into the house and stuff like that. Uh, this, is the, this is a different birth narrative story, actually, that's told to us in Matthew. And if you were to read the two separately, we always put them together for Christmas, but if you read the two separately, you would see that they're two very different stories. Matthew, in Matthew, uh, the angel appears to Joseph. Mary does not have one line in the Matthew text, uh, in the birth narrative. Uh, the opposite is true in Luke. In Luke, Joseph doesn't have any part to play at all uh, in, that, in that story. But in Matthew, the angel appears to Joseph. And Joseph uh, agrees to take Mary as, uh, as his wife um, in spite of the scandal it's going to cause. And it looks like, if you read Matthew, it looks like they just live in Bethlehem. There was no talk of a census or anything. And then later on, they move to Egypt. They are told in a dream to flee to Egypt to go to that place and be protected. Why? Because Herod, upon hearing the news that the wise men were following a star that told them of the Messiah coming, Herod got scared. And so scared and so desperate was Herod that he hatched a plan to have the the firstborn of every family under two years of age killed. He felt threatened by the idea of a Messiah coming. And he hatched this plan. And so in a dream, Joseph was told, again, Joseph was told, to take the child and flee to Egypt. And this is after the story we heard today the wise men who came from the east. And the east, uh, they're referring to, is really Persia, probably, uh, which is modern-day Iran, ironically. And it is out of Iran that these, uh, these three, uh, well, these wise men, we don't know if there's three or not, that, that bring their three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they are... The, now, why would, why would a bunch of Persians be interested in a Jewish Messiah? Probably has, goes back to some 500 years earlier, 500, 600 years earlier, when uh, the Persians came swooping down from Babylon and they took over Jerusalem and they hauled everybody out of Jerusalem and sent them up to Iran, sent them up to Persia to live the diaspora or the the uh, the exile into babylon and while they were there no doubt they shared their stories they shared their hope they shared their longing for a king who would return the hebrew people to the greatness they once knew uh, as a people back in the days of david and so in matthew's narrative uh, he tells us that that story must have been passed along in Persia. And some, some uh, astrologers in Persia made note of a, of a prophecy of some sort that brought them coming back from the land of exile down into Galilee, down into Judea to see if the prophecy was true, and to see this little baby. It's ironic, and it's meant to be ironic, that 
in Matthew's narrative, the Jewish king, their own king, the one who is there supposedly to look out for God's people, the Hebrew king, or he's half Hebrew, uh, Herod, was, uh, who is supposed to be in charge of God's people, is the one who's hatching a plan to kill the Messiah, and yet two foreign lands, not only two foreign lands, but two foreign lands that were once a place of oppression for God's people, Egypt, where after Joseph brought his brothers down into Egypt because of the famine in Canaan, and they set up housekeeping there. After Joseph died, several generations go by and the Egyptian leaders forgot how Joseph saved Egypt. And the Hebrew people became too numerous and so they enslaved them. And their cry to God was great in their oppression, in their enslavement, And God sent them a liberator, Moses. And Moses came, and after a long story, eloquently told by Cecil B. DeMille, uh, after a long story, they were led out of slavery and back into the promised land. That's another long story, but the liberator came and released them from their captivity and brought them into the promised land. Some 1,500 years later, uh, the Hebrew people were again dragged into exile into Babylon under under King Nebuchadnezzar. It was only when a whole other king came along that they were allowed to return to their homeland and start to rebuild once again, coming back out of the oppressor's land into their own. And so you see in Matthew, there's a pattern here of reversal, of complete uh, upturning, and kind of a retelling of the Moses story. But this time instead, they flee to Egypt for safety. And, but once again, the cries of an oppressed People come to God and God responds by bringing a liberator in the form of a little baby. It's Christ who came to set the captives free. You see, because God's people were once again under oppression and this time it was Herod, even though he was king of the Jews, He was appointed by the Romans. And if he didn't know Caesar personally, if he wasn't a friend of the family, if he didn't have a lot of money to give to the powers that be, he would not be in that position. And in that position, he exploited the Hebrew people. And he took their money and he took their land. And he oppressed them. In the same way Pharaoh oppressed God's people. In the same way Nebuchadnezzar oppressed God's people. And God won't stand for it. Amen? 
God won't stand for it. He sends a baby, Jesus Christ. The story is really about two reactions to this event. It's about God breaking into the world with a liberator. And there's two reactions. Ones that say, one that says, hallelujah. And one that says, oh no. <laughs> Things are going to change now. See, of course Herod was not happy about a Messiah coming. Of course Herod wasn't excited about the birth of Jesus. Of course Herod was freaking out because Herod knew the stories of the Messiah just as well as everybody. Herod knew that the Messiah was going to come and set the captives free and uh, uh, let the poor be lifted up. That, Her- that, that the Messiah, in fact in their mind, what they were expecting was a Messiah was going to come with a heavenly army, with a sword in their hand, riding probably a big white horse, because they're always big white horses, right? You've got to have a big white horse with a flowing mane and the whole bit. And he comes going to come riding in, and he's going, what do you think is going to happen to Herod in that scenario? If he's lucky, it's quick. <laughs> if he's not, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get medieval. But Herod knows that if indeed a Messiah has come, His days are numbered. Of course, He's desperate and filled with fear because His oppression is coming to an end. Then there's another reaction. Of course, it comes from a foreigner. Someone from Iran comes and beholds this remarkable thing that God has responded to the cries of God's people. Sent a liberator who will set the captives free. And their response is one of homage. It's one of being on the journey to discovery of what it all means. It's one of committing one's complete self. Now these guys, they happen to have a lot of money. And so they're, they're offering up some pretty spendy stuff. right? Armani frankincense and uh, you know, uh, Calvin Klein myrrh and, and nice gold and all that kind of stuff. right? They're really good stuff. Uh, and they bring that. It's interesting. This is another a little side thing. But it's interesting to me that Matthew, which the, uh, the, 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 uh, if, if we are to believe the authorship of the Gospel of Matthew, it, these are the writings of the tax collector who probably had a lot of money himself, right? Because when you oppress people, you get rich. And uh, tax collectors oppressed people. And so Matthew, he probably came out of that kind of wealth. It's, it's interesting to me that what, Ma- what the book of Matthew tells us is that those who have need to offer that over to Jesus and give it up and lay that before the king. It's interesting to me that Luke, on the other hand, 
Luke, who always loves the poor. If you ever read, Luke is the poor man's gospel, right? Luke is always advocating for the poor. And who, who brings, who comes to Jesus in Luke? Oh, those who are, you know, shepherds, the poorest of the poor, the, the ones who are kind of on the fringe, and he brings them in. It's interesting, the two different uh, angles and perceptions there. But in Matthew, these wise men who have enough money to caravan, take a few weeks off work and caravan across the desert and come and find Jesus and offer them very expensive gifts. It's a message being sent to us from Matthew that we are not to hold back, but that their response to this liberator to offer everything they are and everything they have. And I guess we find ourselves constantly in this dilemma as well. When, because quite frankly, sometimes when Jesus comes to us, we are the one being liberated. Sometimes when, in fact, I always wish this, I wish I could do two sermons. Some for for those who need to, to hear a word of grace and those who need to be smacked upside the head, right? There's a, there's a, cause you're both sitting out there, right? And I have to come up with a sermon that hits both, right? And we kind of find ourselves in this thing where there are those among us at times, there are times in our lives when Jesus needs to break those chains and liberate us and let's set us free and let us run, let us fly. Amen. There are days, there are times, there are moments in our life when we need to break those chains. And Jesus comes and lifts our head out of the mud and says, Go, I do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I will give you the strength to do it, and I will be with you as you do it. And those chains are broken, and we are set free, and we will not be oppressed anymore. And God will have none of it. Amen? And then there are those times, there are those times when we, it's a different story. What are you doing? You need to stop. Get behind me, Curtis, because the things you are about are not the things of God. You do not have the kingdom of of God in your heart. You are the oppressor. You need to humble yourself before the Lord. You need to repent of those things. You need to be smacked upside the head. You need to return. You need to come home. You need to stop sinning. And repentance is literally to turn in a completely different direction. That's, that's what repentance means. And we need, we find ourselves in both of those positions. And we can react either as Herod reacted or we can react as the wise men reacted. We can, out of fear, and I'll be honest, I get, sometimes I get scared of what God's going to do. If, I'm, you know, if I fess up, if I start to say, God, this is really what's going on in my heart, this is really what's going on in my life, I'm scared of what God's going to do. I find myself in fear. But I can either seek Him or I can do my darndest to push Him away. 
But you and I both know this doesn't work. Right? God pushes back. <laughs> and so on this epiphany, and every epiphany, we are called to seek Him. To seek Him when we need our chains broken. To seek Him when we need to be humbled. When we need to adjust. When we need to seek again first the Kingdom of God. To seek Him when we need to be lifted up out of the mire of our own our own oppression and our own depression and our own self-loathing and we need to be told you are glorious children of God. And we need to seek Him when we are being scolded and disciplined and told you are on a wrong path and this is going nowhere good. Let me help you get back where you need to be. And it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard, but I will be with you because I love you. And we need to seek Him in both circumstances. That's what epiphany is about. Amen? And so it's my prayer today that as we are given this glorious second narrative of Jesus' birth given to us through Matthew, that we embrace its message of liberation both from being oppressed and the bondage of our own sinfulness and our own shortcomings. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we come to You humbly, thanking You that You are the One who brings us freedom from all that would oppress us. That You hear our cry and You save us. We also thank You that You are a father or a mother who disciplines us, who helps us to grow, who points us in a new direction, and who helps us learn from our mistakes. Be with us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. We should have a song here, but we... I guess we don't. I did. We forgot to put it in. So, <laughs> uh, I am going to invite us to symbolically gather around Jesus' dinner table in much the same way Jesus brought together His closest allies and friends. We, we think of the twelve disciples, but there were probably more there. There were probably a lot of women. And normally, a Passover feast would involve a lot of women and children. There'd probably be a dog or two sitting around too. Uh, so we gather symbolically around that same table. And here at First Baptist Church, uh, we are all invited to come to the Lord's table. Anyone who calls Jesus friend, regardless of your church membership or no membership of anything, you are welcome to partake of this table. It is God's gift to us. It symbolizes all that Jesus, all that God was willing to give us to express God's love for us. The gift of Christ. And Christ said to us, I'm not holding back anything. Not my body, which is broken, and not my blood, which is shed, can come between 
yourself and God. Not the oppressor's best efforts to stop God's love. Not even death itself can stop what God has started in Jesus Christ. Amen? As we come to this, the Lord's table, it is an opportunity to recommit ourselves to all that Jesus is in our lives. With that in our hearts, let us go before the throne of God. Loving God, we do come and we invite you to search our hearts and show us what we need to bring to you that we might in righteousness and faithfulness come to this table. May it be a symbol of our recommitment to you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.